Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to invest in your people tonight. You love these people so much. And Lord, I thank you that you have a word for each of us in this house this evening, that you have given us uh, spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight, so that we may know you more and we may know the hope of your calling. We just thank you for the opportunity to share this message tonight and that we would be strengthened and encouraged and that the word of God would grow and increase and that the number of disciples would multiply because of your preached word. Lord, let this message go to the ends of the earth through technology. Let this affect people on every continent. God, let this word go forth and change lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you agree, would you say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. If you like Mary's ice cream, say, oh yeah. Love it. Thank you for setting all that up. What a great treat. If you missed tonight, you missed a very nice ice cream treat bar surprise. That is, she. this lady knows how to put out some ice cream. I mean, I'm telling you, it is awesome. Yes, Miss Mary is awesome. All right, Mark chapter 14, we're going to read each verse, and we're going to just talk through as we go. And this is really going to excite you tonight. Uh, a couple of things that are just really interesting and intriguing in the Scripture. Don't you love God's Word? I love God's Word. The input of God's Word always produces a changed life. We can never get enough of God's Word. Thank God for music. Thank God for worship. Thank God for technology. Thank God for videos. But it is the Word of God that changes us. It is the Word of God that helps us in our, in, in our time of weakness and darkness. I love emotion. I love energy. How many of you know I love energy? I love excitement. I love hype. I love all that. But that doesn't sustain you. How many know in a conflict and in a negative circumstance, emotion is the first thing to leave? So if you build your life on emotion and if you build your life on just the, the surface, you know, you can be, what do they say? You can be a, a mile wide but an inch deep. I'd rather be a mile deep and an inch wide. So tonight we're going to go deep in God's Word, and it's really, really going to help you. Mark 14, verse 43, immediately. Mark says that a number of times, I think 42 times in his gospel. He says immediately. He's just fast-paced. That's why I like Mark so much, because he's just to the point. Let's hit it. Let's move on. Let's go. So immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve. Now I want you to notice that. Have, have you noticed how many times Judas is referred to as one of the twelve? Time and time again in Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, when they bring up Judas, they say, Judas, one of the twelve. Almost like, you know, we're, you know, we're 30 to 40 years after the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus when this gospel is being written down and distributed. And it's almost like as they write Judas, they can't believe that he was one of the twelve. I write it down. And, and Judas, who... He was one of he was one of us. He was one of the twelve. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus feed the five thousand. It's almost as if they still can't believe that one of the twelve betrayed Jesus. So Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd. This is the sweet Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. He came with a crowd, and we're going to show you some things here that maybe you've not seen before. They had swords. They had clubs. How I many know they meant business? Had the chief priest, had the scribes, and the elders. So let's step outside for just a minute of what you think in Sunday School 101. I alluded to this the other day, but I want to dive into this a little deeper. We see pictures of Jesus being arrested in the garden. There's three or four soldiers. You know, the disciples are here. This will blow your mind when you actually look at how many people came to get Jesus. You know why? Because they couldn't catch the guy. You know, they had plotted and plotted and plotted time after time to kill Jesus, and he escaped. 
He would be in a crowd, and they would go to seize him, and he would just vanish. They couldn't catch him. And they didn't know what he would do. Is he going to lead a revolt? Is he going to uh, cause a riot? So they brought, watch this now. Let me show you this in John. I want you to look at John 18. They came with a crowd, swords, clubs, soldiers, priests, temple police. This is no small thing. This, they, they fully expected a, a clearly some resistance between Jesus and his followers. So John 18, John says this, when Jesus had spoken the words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine, and there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Look at verse 2. This is the garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place. Why did he know the place? Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Jesus had a habit and a pattern of getting away to pray. He had a pattern of going to the same place to meet with the Lord. Now look in verse 3 what this says. Judas, having received a Roman cohort. Now how many of you read that before and had no idea what a Roman cohort was? We can all be honest because I didn't know what it was until I looked it up. So he brought with him a Roman cohort. You know, what is that? Is that one guy? Is that two guys? What, what is a Roman cohort? He brought the officers from the chief priests, the Pharisees. They came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Now let me tell you what a Roman cohort is. This is a, a cohort in the Roman military was 10% of a legion. Well, Pastor James, that doesn't tell me very much. Okay, let me explain. So a cohort is 10% of a legion. A legion of soldiers is 6,000 soldiers. So they brought 600 Roman soldiers. 600 highly trained, armed to the edge. I mean, these are... Imagine... Coming to arrest someone with 600 of the best, finest military ops that you have. 600. Then you count the Pharisees, the temple police, the scribes. Easily 800 men. Conservative estimate came to get Jesus. 800 men. It's just amazing to me. So they, they this huge, massive crowd. Have you ever been to a church that ran about 1,000 people? And what that's like when you leave? I mean... I mean, 800 to 1,000 people? That's a lot of people for one man. They were afraid, and, and for good reason. <laughs> Look at verse 44 now. Let's go back to Mark 14. Mark 14 and verse 44 tells us this. Now he who was betraying him had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard, meaning don't let him go. When you get your hands on Jesus, because Judas knew the power Jesus had. Judas knew that Jesus could, could take a loaf and fish and feed 5,000. Judas knew that Jesus could walk on water. He said, when you get him, you better put him under guard. And what they would do, they would take both hands and they would put them all the way up back between your shoulder blades and put you down. And they would rope your feet and your hands together and you couldn't even walk. And they would literally basically drag you out. They would completely incapacitate you from, from walking out or running on your own. Seize him. Put him under guard. Now notice this, whomever I kiss. Now in the ancient world here, kissing was a common greeting. But when you confirm kissing with what we see here in a minute, Judas, Judas he didn't want the disciples to know anything was up. It's, probable, it's very probable that Judas would greet Jesus many times with a kiss. And so Judas infiltrated the disciples and, and, and because the Roman soldiers didn't know which one's Jesus. You've got these 12 men, possibly more. 
I don't think Jesus really just traveled with 12. I think there was a large number of people with Jesus when he traveled because you've got the 12, you've got their families, you've got, you know, you've got, I think there's many more people that were potentially with him and around. So how do they know who's Jesus? They don't want to get the wrong guy. So Judas went up and said, I will give you the most highest, friendliest greeting possible. How many of you have a husband or wife or a mom or a dad, and when you see them, you kiss them, or, you know, you, you David, does he greet you with a holy kiss? Does he? It's a term of friendship. It's a term of affection. Judas is about to betray the Messiah, but yet he, he has a hypocritical facade of, I'm going to show you one more extension of friendship. How, how ironic that he would use this. You could, you, he could have done anything. The man that I high-five, that's what I do. The one I high-five, that's the one I'm going to betray. I mean, he could have, you know, he could have went and stood beside him, could have, but the one I kiss. Just think about the, I'm going to betray you with a kiss. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. So this here means to make Jesus secure, make him firm. They were afraid that Jesus would thwart the arrest and this reveals Judas's fear of the disciples, possibly of Jesus. And I love this here in John 10. Let's go to John 10. I don't know if I actually told you to load this one, Jared, but look at John 10, 17. Let me just read it. Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. John 10, 18. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. So Jesus here... Judas knew that. Judas knew that Jesus had said, I lay my life down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. So let's look at verse 45. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. No one takes it from me. No one could steal the life of Jesus. He laid it down on his own. All right, look at verse 45, Mark 10. So after coming immediately, he went to him saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, you may not have noticed this, but if you study the Gospels, we never see Judas calling him Lord. All the other disciples, it's recorded. Peter called him Lord. We see Thomas calling him Lord. Never is it recorded that Judas called him Lord. He was always rabbi. Meaning there's something inside of Judas that even though he saw him heal the sick, saw Jesus raise the dead, saw him do all these miracles, he, he still believed he was rabbi. He believed he was a good teacher. But Judas never settled in his heart that he was Lord. Because when Jesus is Lord of your life, you don't betray the Lord of your life. He just had a, a knowledge of God, but he denied the power. So Judas said, Rabbi. And he kissed him on the cheek or forehead. And this was, again, a, a, a term of affection. It was an affectionate greeting. Now look at verse 46. So they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. So Judas walks up and says, Rabbi, or good teacher, a term of affection, kisses him, and then it sends off this litany of events where they grab and seize Jesus. Now look at verse 47. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. We're going to read in a minute that this was Peter. Everybody go, oh, Peter. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like Peter? Meaning at this moment, Peter was ready to give his life for Jesus. Because he's got 800 plus men who are armed and trained and Peter pulls out the sword. This is a very brave, remarkable... Yes, Peter acted in anger. Yes, Peter got a little ahead of himself and you know, probably should have not done this. But man, Peter, was he was passionate and he loved Jesus and he was willing to die at this point. 
for Jesus. But one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the slave of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Now look at verse 48. And Jesus, having said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? And that word robber is the same term that's used for Barabbas. Remember, Barabbas was a robber and a thief and a murderer. And they were saying, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. He's saying, have you come out to arrest me as a criminal? What crime have I done? Have you come to arrest me as one that, that has broken the law? Now let's, let's look at what we call the harmony of the Gospels. That's the same story, but through the eyes of different writers, different Gospel writers. Look at John 18. He gives us a little bit more detail. John 18, 10. Simon Peter, then having a sword, see there it is, Simon Peter, drew it and struck the high priest slaves, uh, the, uh, the, he struck the high priest slave and cut off his ear. How many know he was not aiming for the ear? The guy ducked. He wasn't aiming for the ear, he was aiming for his head. And the slave's name was Malchus. Now think about this. Why would John give us the name of Malchus? Because church history tells us Malchus was now a follower of Jesus. Church history says Malchus was now a disciple. Anytime a name is used in Scripture, it's very important. Thousands and thousands of people follow Jesus and we don't know their names. But when a name is pointed out, it is there for a reason. He's saying, hey, that guy Malchus that is in your church, ask him what happened. Peter cut off his ear. Talk to him about this story. Because Malchus was now a believer. He was in the church. And, and, and John is saying, if you don't believe me about this resurrection, you just go ask Malchus and he will tell you. What did Malchus have to tell them? What, what was Malchus's story? Well, Luke gives us a little bit of insight. Look at this here in Luke 22, verse 50. So Malchus... <laughs> what a man. Notice this here. Peter struck the slave of the high priest, that's Malchus, and cut off his right ear. But listen at the testimony that Malchus had. Get the image. 800 men, lanterns, torches, clubs, blood, pain, chaos. And look what happens. But Jesus answered Peter and said, Stop, I'll have none of this. No more of this. And he touched his ear. And healed him. Malchus had the first miracle ear. <laughs> Praise God. Been waiting all week to say that. That was worth coming for right there. So why would they point out Malchus's name? Because he's in the church. Here's my ear. It's on my head. It was on the ground. Now it's on my head. Jesus is alive. It's another testimony of the Lord and his graciousness. This guy is there to seize him. And Jesus picks his ear up, touches him, and puts the guy's ear back on. Well, I guess, could you imagine being the guy that arrests Jesus after that? It's like, well, good job. Come with us. I mean, it's just, it was just amazing to me that, that this would happen. Y'all need to tell your friends this is the first miracle ear. You need to tell them. That's, that's funny. Look at verse 49, Mark 14. Candy likes that. Man, this gets good here. Oh, man, this gets good. If this is the only thing I said tonight, it's worth it. I told Tara on the way here today, I said, this entire study is worth it because of this verse and this revelation. This is just, this, this, this will burn your wood if it's not too wet. Wet wood doesn't burn. 
But if you got any life in you at all, this is going to excite you. I was going to say light your candle, but my wife doesn't like that. She said, well, candle's not very big. Candle's not very good. <laughs> okay, it's going to blaze a thousand acres in my heart of wood. But so i got to think of something else to say. This will melt your butter, praise God. She won't like that either. Verse 49, Tara, if you ever listen to this message, I love you. You're the best thing next to Jesus that ever happened to me. <laughs> Mark 14, 49. Jesus said, every day I was with you in the temple teaching. You didn't seize me there, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. They're treating Jesus as a criminal, not just a blasphemer. They're doing to Jesus what would have been done to a thief or a murderer. Now look at Matthew 26. Let's again look at the harmony of the Gospels. Let's look at some other writers here. This is wonderful to look at. Matthew 26, verse 52. Or we can start 50, that's fine. So Jesus said, friend, do what you've come for. Jesus told this to Judas, do what you've come for. And they came and laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. Now look at verse 52. Jesus said, put your sword back in place, for all those who take up the sword die by the sword. That's what he told Peter. Now look at verse 53. This is good. Look at your neighbor and say, this is about to be good. This is going to change your life right here. You'll never forget this. Never. You'll never forget this as long as you live. You will remember sitting right here when you heard this, and this will give you faith and confidence in our God and His power. So do you not think, verse 53, I could appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What is a legion? 6,000. Somebody was listening. Jesus said, could I not call 72,000 angels at my disposal? Peter, don't be afraid. We don't have to fight the way this world fights. Don't be afraid, disciples. I could call 72,000 angels to come to my disposal. Well, what's the big deal about 72,000 angels? Look at 2 Kings 19. In 2 Kings 19, in verse 35, we find out that it happened at night. The angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. So we have one angel in one night who wiped out 185,000 people. And Jesus said, I, in my name and in my authority, I could call 72,000 angels. Pull up this number, Jared. Jesus said, I could wipe out in one phone call to the Father 959 trillion and 40 billion people at one time. You tell me that God is not powerful? Jesus said, I could make this earth a dust bowl in a moment. And if Jesus can call those angels forward, does the Bible not say in the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits that hearken to the voice of the Word of God? And if Jesus had that kind of power and authority at His call, I have that kind of power behind me when I call on the Lord. 959 trillion people gone in one night because Jesus said, I've got over 72,000 angels at my disposal. And if Jesus had that at his call, I've got it in my call. 
Because I'm a child of God. Did Jesus not pray in John 17, God show them that you love them as much as you love me? Well, God loves Jesus. He'd do that for... God loves me. That's a huge number. Seventy. You'll never forget that. 72,000 angels. And one angel killed 185,000. Jesus said, I'm in charge here. You may think you've got me. You may think that I'm bound by you. But I am still in charge. Isn't that awesome? There's nothing too big for God. Nothing too powerful. That's how powerful the name of Jesus is. So look at verse 50. Now why, why did he not take advantage of that? For Mary. For Trey. For Sabrina. That's why Jesus didn't put that call. And as my mom said today, the angels were probably looking over the, the, the aisles of heaven, just waiting on Jesus to say the word, Father, can we go? Father, can we go? And he said, no. Scripture must be fulfilled. The price must be paid. And imagine the onlookers of heaven saying, can we go and help? Can we go? And the Father says, no. This must happen because I love Trey, because I love Jared, because I love people, because I love mankind. We can't go. We can't go. And look at verse 50. It says, and they all left him and fled. So Jesus now is alone. He's by himself. The mob has seized him and every disciple left him and fled. This fulfilled Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13 says this. It was a prophetic word. It says, Awaken, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd so that the sheep would be scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. It's a prophetic word. The, the shepherd would be striked and smote and the sheep would scatter. So let's go back to Mark 14. And this is what we talked about the other day, which is just so funny, I've got to say it again. So a young man, this was John Mark. John Mark was a teenager, church history tells us, when Jesus was on the earth and doing his ministry. John Mark's parents owned the upper room. The Bible says that it was the sister of Barnabas who lent the disciples the upper room. This is the same upper room in the book of Acts. This is the same upper room in Acts chapter 12. This is the same upper room in Acts chapter 4. The place where they were when they prayed was shaken. This is the same place of the Last Supper, the Passover. They had a giant room in this house, and John Mark's mom and dad owned it. So John Mark hears this commotion, and he's a young man, he's a teenager, and he jumps out of bed, and the Bible says a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen sheet. Over his naked body. And they seized him. Mark is our author. Mark is admitting here, I had to run away naked. <laughs> Look at verse 52. And it says, that, but they, 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 pull, he, they grabbed John Mark, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and he escaped naked. Just a teenage boy seeing all this. Verse 52 closes this passage. And you think, well, how does that tie to the message, this young man are running away naked? We're going to do that. We're going to tie it in for you. So here's my takeaway from this. Number one, my takeaway is we either believe or we betray. Judas never called Jesus Lord. Jesus is, can't just be revered as a good teacher, as a good man, as a good prophet. We must take that step where we believe Him as Lord. Matthew 7.20, this is... 
a scripture that has always alarmed me, but now more in this study, I believe Jesus was prophetically speaking about some of us today and in our world, but I believe he was also prophetically speaking about Judas, one of the twelve. I believe this was earmarked for Judas to hear, to giving him a chance to repent, a chance to turn. But it applies to us as well. Matthew seven twenty. so you will know them by their fruits. Well, don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. Look, I ain't judging you. Your, your fruit stinks. No judgment here. Your fruit stinks. You shall know them by their fruits. Look at Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and Judas didn't even get to that point. He just said, Rabbi, Rabbi. But not everyone who even says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Judas prophesied in his name. Judas was one that went out and healed the sick. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? But look at verse 23. And Jesus will say, depart from me. He will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. You knew all about me, but I didn't know you. We didn't have an intimate relationship. God is not just concerned about what you do. He's concerned about your intimate relationship with Him. Your walk with God is so much more valuable and so much more important than what you're doing for the Lord. So we either believe or we betray. Number two, the disciples let fear lead them. Jesus had just said, boys, don't be afraid. I could call 72,000 angels to come. And you remember the story. One night, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. The, the, these boys knew that. They knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. But they let fear lead them. They feared, so they fled. We cannot live our life based out of fear. A fear of the future. Every time you get a little bump on your elbow, you fear, I've got cancer, right? Oh, what is this knot on my arm and my throat feels weird? And We cannot live our life based out of fear. What about my kids? You can't be fearful for your children. What, what are my kids doing? Can't be fearful for my job. How am I going to pay my bills? We cannot let fear lead us. Instead of fleeing, they should have stood and they should have been ready to fight. Don't run away from the Lord in difficult situations. Run to Him. In a hard time, Joyce, they ran from the Lord. But we should run to the Lord. When life gets hard, don't run from God. He's not your problem. Run to the Lord. There's tremendous power available. Look at John 18 and verse 6. So they let fear lead them. They, they, they feared and they fled. Instead of running to the Lord, they ran away from the Lord. Look at John 18 6. So Jesus said this. I am He. Who have you come for? We've come for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, I am He. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Over 800 men in one moment hit the ground. Jesus was still in charge. Therefore, He asked them again, verse 7, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Now look at this. This is, this is awesome here. Look at verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you I am he. So if it's me that you seek, let these go their way. Jesus was still in charge. But yet the disciples feared. They ran away. Now in the original language, he is not there. He is added for English translation. Remember back when Moses said, God, I'll go to Pharaoh and I'll tell Pharaoh that you 
want the people to be let go. But who do I tell Pharaoh has sent me? And God said, tell him I am. Has sent you? Same word, same language. Jesus said, we're looking for Jesus. I am. I am. And that's when they fell to the ground. He is added just for English translation. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Number 624, the name of the Lord will bless you and keep you. Number 624 and 27, so put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. There's tremendous power in the name of Jesus. I am, the God of I am is with us and we don't have to fear. And number three, my favorite one, don't get caught naked. You like that, don't you? You knew it was coming. So we either, we either believe or we betray, like Judas. We either let fear lead us or we stand in the, in the place of fear. Number three, don't get caught naked. The young man was not dressed for battle. John Mark was not ready for a fight. He was not ready for a confrontation with the enemy. He just had on a bed sheet. And because he wasn't dressed, he couldn't stay with Jesus. He wasn't prepared. So we must keep on ready. We must keep the armor of God on at all times. We must stay dressed for battle. The Bible says to put on the Lord Jesus. Last scripture, Isaiah 61.10. This is what we'll close with tonight. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For He has clothed me in garments of salvation. Are you naked today? Have you been clothed in salvation? Do you have the armor of God on? The Bible says in Isaiah 61, 10, He wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. That's His works and His righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels, we must put on salvation, the garment of salvation. We've been given the armor of God. So when life comes at us with tests and trials, we don't have to run away in fear. We don't have to flee. We can stand clothed in the power of God, clothed in salvation, because the name of Jesus is a beautiful name. What's the name of Jesus? I am. I am. So let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you.